0: It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
1: Civics 101 is supported in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting rights of students at school are not the same as the rights of adults. Well, there is
0: some distinction between practice and policy. I
1: think. A ticker standard applied to school newspapers would not allow the teacher uh, to even correct misspellings. This is Civics 101. I'm Nick Capodice. So if you've listened to a few episodes of our show, you know that we don't have a lot of time. We try to keep these things down to about 15 minutes so they're digestible. And we can't really get into the moments of historical significance that are relevant to our episode topics, like landmark Supreme Court cases, actual presidential elections, all that fun stuff. And that's what we're going to do today. We're calling it Civics 101 IRL. It's the real historical moments relative to our episode topics. So I hope you have fun. Stick around. Last week, I got this phone call from Dave Alcox. Hey, Nick, this is Dave Alcox from Milford High School. And Mr. Alcox is a superstar social studies teacher here in New Hampshire and a professional DJ. I've got some wicked great news for you. Um, we're going to have John and Mary Beth Tinker from Tinker vs. Des Moines and Kathy Kohlmeyer from Hazelwood versus Colmeyer come visit us at Milford High on November 2nd. And I didn't want to sound like a complete fool when he called me, but the truth is, I didn't know who these people were. And when I found out, I had to tell someone. So I grabbed producer Hannah McCarthy. Yeah. Come in. Okay. Do you have like five minutes?
0: I do, yeah. I have okay, five minutes. Okay, on this headphone. Okay.
1: Do you know who John Tinker, Mary Beth Tinker, or Kathy Kuhlmeyer are?
0: I have no idea.
1: Okay. These. It's okay, because I didn't either. But I promise you, I will go to my grave knowing the names Tinker, Frazier, Kuhlmeier and Frederick.
0: You got to tell me who they are then.
1: These are four people involved in Supreme Court cases that drastically, drastically change First Amendment rights in schools.
0: I can't believe I haven't heard of this. I'm
1: pretty shocked I didn't know about it either. Number one Tinker versus Des Moines John
0: F. Tinker and Mary Beth Tinker, minors, etc., et al., petitioners versus Des Moines Independent Community School District, et al.
1: Uh, The Tinker's name being first means that they are the petitioners and Des Moines being second means they are the respondent.
0: Okay, so that means that Des Moines is happy with the original decision. They don't want anything else to happen. Right. The Tinkers
1: lost the previous case, and Des Moines won the previous case. They're cool to stand. Um, Mary Beth Tinker, this is a great story. Mary Beth Tinker was 13. Her brother John was about 16, I believe, when this happened. Um, Their father was a Methodist minister, and he was very involved in the civil rights movement. And John and Mary Beth joined some students who were protesting the Vietnam War. The Vietnam War in the United States, it's the first time that war is coming to American living rooms.
0: Right, through television. Yes, yeah,
1: absolutely. The horrors of war. And they were going to protest by joining some students who were wearing black armbands. Specifically, the views were that they mourned the dead of both sides, both civilian and military, in that war. And they supported the proposal that had been made by United States Senator Robert Kennedy that the truce, which had been proposed for that war over the Christmas period be made an open-ended or an indefinite truce. Totally coincidentally, two days before this big protest of wearing black armbands, the principal of their school met with a bunch of other principals in Des Moines and passed a rule saying armbands are forbidden in our school district.
0: So were other kids wearing armbands already? Yeah, this was going to, well, they heard,
1: the, the principal heard that this was going to be a thing that happened. They're like... Look, what are we going to do? Kids are going to be wearing armbands in school, and it's going to be a disruption.
0: Okay, so he tried to preempt the whole thing.
1: Tried to preempt the whole thing, but they wore them to school anyways, and they were suspended. And immediately after they were suspended, they started getting the threats. Whoa. Yes, people called them a bunch of commies. Um, someone said they were going to firebomb their house. And one letter one letter that actually Mary Beth still has to this day is like, you're welcome to wear your armbands. Just do it on Saturday. Hmm. You shouldn't be doing it in school. So they got in contact with the ACLU. They got a case together and uh, through appeals, it ends up in the Supreme Court. And the vote is 7-2 to in favor of the Tinkers.
0: That is a landslide. Go John and Mary Beth. John
1: and Mary Beth. So seven justices wrote in the decision that, yes, their First Amendment rights have been violated and they had a right to protest in school. The justice who wrote the decision is Abe Fortas. So when you have a Supreme Court case, there's a decision where the majority writes the majority of it, and then you can dissent. If you're someone who disagreed, you can write in the dissent. And Abe Fortas wrote the decision, and he said, quote, it can hardly be argued that either students or teachers shed their constitutional rights to freedom of speech or expression at the schoolhouse gate. Those words are used over and over in other Supreme Court cases further down the line. It's a magnificent decision. And it creates this um, massive blanket precedent called the Tinker Standard, which is where you ask, uh, was this speech disruptive? And if it's not disruptive, then it's protected in schools. John and Mary Beth Tinker, case 1969. And to this day, uh, John and Mary Beth do what's called the Tinker Tour. They travel the country to tell students about their First Amendment rights.
0: That is very cool.
1: Yeah. Mary Beth once said, one of my favorite quotes I found of hers um, it's a good way of life to speak up, to use your rights. And she says that students are particularly uh, in a position to speak up because students have virility students are curious students are the next generation who, are, who is going to challenge the way the previous generation had everything all set up so later on as the years go by the Supreme Court has to decide are there things besides disruption quote unquote um, that make something protected or not in school hmm. so now we're going to shoot forward in time to 1986 we're there Bethel you should
0: play some music
1: oh I'm going to totally play 1986 yeah. music for this that's yeah. a good idea it's going to be cruel summer yeah <laughs> The rule does not say one shall not swear in Latin class. The rule says that obscene or profane language uh, will be considered disruptive. 1986, Bethel v. Frazier. The facts in this case are that on April 26, 1983, Matt Frazier, a 17-year-old high school senior, gave a speech to the Associated Student Body. Gave a speech nominating his friend Jeff for student body vice president. It was not Full of cuss words. He gave a crude and vulgar speech. It was very lewd. And it was, sh- it was short, but it was just goofy, and it was all lewd. And I, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> so if you want to read it, you can just go listen to it.
0: We can't stop you. We
1: can't stop you from Googling it. But it, to, be, to be honest, Hannah, it's like no worse than a lousy Saturday Night Live monologue. Okay. Yeah, except it's way too short. Okay. Uh, so it's uh, yeah, it's not long enough to be a bad SNL skit, but it's just it's just full of sexual innuendo. Okay. that's all it is. So then he was sent home for that. He went to court. He went to the ninth Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which ruled in his favor, uh, saying that double entendres were protected as speech in schools. And then the Bethel District brought it up and it got up to the highest court in the land, the Supreme Court. Bethel comes first. Bethel v. Frazier, because the Bethel School District um, is the petitioner of the case.
0: Oh, I'm a little surprised in the 80s yeah. that, this, that a school would even bother to say, no, it's our right to send you home when you exhibit lewd behavior.
1: Well, Because it's about 1960s. When Tinker happened, this is a time, the height of protest. It's the 60s. Mm. You know, America is learning how to protest in a new way. By the 1980s, this has kind of been accepted. You know, kids have freedom of speech at schools. Kids are expressing themselves. But can it be lewd? It was another 7-2 vote. And the answer is no. You cannot say lewd speech in school, and it is not protected in school. The Ninth Circuit, we believe, has misconstrued the extent of the rights a student has under the First Amendment in a public school setting.
0: I was wondering, because... I know in middle school, at least, while I was still in school in Massachusetts in a public school system, if a kid wore a T-shirt with a lewd slogan or image on it, they had to turn it inside out or go home.
1: Yep. Same happened in my school, particularly in the 1980s. Something called the co-ed naked T-shirts, which were really hot in 1989, (laughs) 1990. Um, And because they were lewd the school could tell you to turn them inside out, or if they had swear words. Mm -hmm. So they didn't have to just say swear words. um, But even if they were lewd, it couldn't happen in school. Uh, One of the quotes from the decision was, the First Amendment does not protect speech in school that is vulgar or inconsistent with the fundamental values of public school education. And it kind of makes sense Mm -hmm. to me. Uh, Even though I'm, uh, you know, I'm not a crotchety old man, but, you know, you can't just go around saying lewd stuff in school. Right.
0: Yeah. 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 The Queen Mab speech is very filthy.
1: So in the case, uh, the dissent. And as I've said before, the dissent is always kind of my favorite part of Supreme Court cases because it's like the minority coming out and being like, I still stand for Bibbidi Um, Justice Stevens, John Paul Stevens wrote the dissent and uh, he said he just quoted, he said, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. <laughs> When I was a high school student, the use of those words in a public forum shocked the nation. And today, Clark Gable's four-letter expletive is less offensive than it was then. So uh, he says that what is considered dirty or uh, unprotected, as it were, in school can change over the years. Yeah. So let's let it be so.
0: Let it be kind of alive. Let it be kind of alive. For those of you listening who don't know what that's referencing, that's Rhett Butler. Oh, yeah. From... uh... Um, God.
1: Gone with the wind. Gone
0: with the wind. Yeah.
1: Two more. And they're going to be fast. Okay. So that was in 1986. We're going to go forward in time to uh, another case. And this is Hazelwood v. Kuhlmeier. Now, so the Tinker case was cited in the Fraser case. And Tinker and Fraser are cited in Hazelwood v. Coolmeyer, And that's what I love is like Supreme Court decisions are living. They, they build atop each other. Uh, Hazelwood v. Coolmeyer, decided in 1988. Kathy Kuhlmeier, she worked at a school newspaper called The Spectrum. All what a right. fun name. That what is, is fun. It? What a Roy G. Biv name. <laughs> the Spectrum. <laughs> and what they did when they wrote The Spectrum newspaper is they gave the proofs of what the paper was going to be to the principal, who like, looked it over and said, great job, kids, and printed it. Principal Reynolds got the proofs. It was a May issue. And there were two stories that the principal didn't really care for. One was about teen pregnancy
0: right. and
1: the other was about divorce. Hmm. So what he did was he didn't tell anybody. He just removed those articles and published the newspaper. Kathy Kuhlmeyer and company got their paper, The Spectrum, opened it up and saw these two big articles were missing. And they said, what, what's up with that? Mm-hmm. And the principal said uh, that's, you know, and he gave his reasons for it. Goes up to the U.S. Supreme Court.
0: Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. This
1: case comes before the court to resolve the issue of whether a school-sponsored high school newspaper produced and published by a journalism class as a part of the school-adopted curriculum under a teacher's supervision and subject to a principal's review is a public forum for the purpose of the First Amendment. Can schools decide what you can and can't put in a school newspaper? Mm -hmm. So Hazelwood School District v. Kathy Kuhlmeier. Uh, Kuhlmeier got the help of the American Civil Liberties Union. She sued. She won. Then the Hazelwood District appealed it to and went up to the Supreme Court. This vote was 5-3.
0: It's closer than the others.
1: And the victor, the Hazelwood School District. Mm -hmm. Schools do have the right to alter, to say what you can and can't put in a school newspaper. And this was Justice White who delivered the majority decision. And he said, the question we addressed in Tinker is different from the question whether the First Amendment requires a school to promote particular student speech. The former question addresses educators' ability to silence a student's personal expression that happens to occur on school grounds. But the latter question concerns educators' authority over school-sponsored publications. So this case goes on to say, if it's in a newspaper, if it's in a school play... If it's in a thing the school does, the school has the right to decide what can and can't be done. Mm -hmm. So you could do a rude play and the school could say, we're not going to put that play up. And your First Amendment rights are not violated. What do you think of that one?
0: I remember being very upset when my school... well. In retrospect, I get it. We were going to do The King and I, and I prepared my audition song and everything from The King and I, and then they decided, no, it's racist, we're not doing it. Oh, wow. It is racist. It sure is. They shouldn't have been doing it. But at the moment, I just thought, like, a bunch of soft-handed ninnies, like, is not, a, is not a good reaction. But I understand it. I understand that there's an implicit, like, as though the school's agreeing with whatever is being put in this material because the school's name is on it.
1: yeah. It's an interesting case, and I yeah. think the because it extends to all sorts of things—musical performances, plays. Yeah. Think of all the the possibilities that this decision could change, and it still stands. I mean, Hazelwood v. Kuhlmeier stands.
0: Yeah, I especially well not especially. There's always there's always some tumult in the country, but right now I think you've got a lot of young people who feel very passionately about certain. Uh, political and racial tensions. And if they want to write a piece about it and, you know, perhaps cite use of a racial slur or something, Mm. and they want to print that and talk about that word, for example, and why that word is wrong, and they're going to print it because it's important that you read it as it is. Something like this, you know. And the school says... We're not publishing that because that's a racial slur mm. or maybe not even quite that. We're just not even going to really give you a reason beyond use of racial slur. And we're just not printing your piece. Mm. I think it could leave room for, let's say, a hyper conservative principle to just push back on anything that offended his or her uh, ideals. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, I think you might be in the same uh, bailiwick as this is one of my favorite dissents ever written. Um, Justice William Brennan. The young men and women of Hazelwood East High expected a civics lesson, but not the one the court teaches them today. Such unthinking contempt for individual rights is intolerable from any state official. It's particularly insidious from a school principal to whom the public entrusts the task of inculating in its youth an appreciation for the cherished democratic liberties that our Constitution guarantees. You, listener, go over, Let's read the whole um, case. It's a fascinating dissent a lot of fun full of passion one extra point that I want to make that Kathy Kuhlmeyer made about defending her article staying in the newspaper was that there was so much teen pregnancy at her school that they had their own daycare
0: Wow so, I have never heard of that
1: Yeah, so you're not allowed to write about teen pregnancy but enough students are having sex and having underage children that you have a daycare at your high school
0: that takes it to a completely different level yeah and
1: now we're up to our last one. All right. And uh, <clears throat> it's never the last one because, gosh, there's gonna, there's probably one being argued right now. And it's it's 2007. Morse v. Frederick. And we're going to go all the way up. You know what I'm talking about. We're going to Juneau, Alaska. And
0: soon the moment everyone
1: has been waiting for. And here are the first two torchbearers to enter the stadium. This is during the torch relay. relay for the 2002 Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City, Utah. It's so fun. A schoolhouse Supreme Court case that involves the Olympics and our neighbor to the north. Respondent Joseph Frederick, a senior, was late to school that day. When he arrived, he joined his friends across the street from the school to watch the event. As the torchbearers and camera crews passed by, Frederick and his friends unfurled a 14-foot banner bearing the phrase, quote, Bong hits for Jesus, end quote. Bong hits for Jesus. And the four was the number four. And it was all capital letters except for the I and hits. Bong hits for Jesus. So Frederick hung up the Bong hits banner, and Principal Morse, Deborah Morse, she took the banner down, and Frederick was suspended. How would you rule on this one?
0: Oh. I it may fall under the lewd category.
1: Bong because
0: it well not lewd but generally inappropriate because it's citing drugs.
1: You have these nine old Supreme Court justices, men and women, talking about bong hits for (laughs) Jesus, and one of them kept being like, "There was a cryptic message." (laughs) Such cryptic. What what did he mean in bong hits for Jesus? I mean, that's what I actually seriously don't understand. Suppose the school has the following rule. By the way, on our field trips, you can carry around 15-foot banners. They can say anything, except they can't talk about drugs, and they can't talk about sex, and they can't talk about, I don't know, or I'd say three things. Would that be constitutional?
0: Well... I mean, yeah, I, 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 think, I think a school could certainly prohibit the display of banners on a school trip or in a school assembly. Suppose
1: that this particular person had whispered to his next-door neighbor, "Bong hits for Jesus." <laughs> you know, I suppose that's what had
0: happened.
1: How are they going to vote?
0: I feel a little nervous. Is
1: the boy in the banner protected? Or was the principal in her in her rights thinking of what you know about Hazelwood v. Kuhlmeyer, thinking mm-hmm. of what you know of the Tinker Standard, and thinking of what you know about uh, uh, Frasier?
0: I think, given what I've learned so far from this lesson, yeah. the principal is protected. Really? Yeah, because we've seen two cases where if there's objectionable material, mm-hmm. the school is in the right to say no. Uh,
1: The court votes... Five to four, close one, in favor of Principal Morse. You got it. Yep. Nail on the head. And who wrote the decision was the newest Chief Justice, Justice Roberts. Okay. It was an early decision of the new of the Roberts uh of the Roberts Court. <laughs> he said in his decision, he said Tinker held that student expression may not be suppressed unless school officials reasonably conclude that it's going to disrupt the work of the school. Frazier demonstrates that the constitutional rights of students in public school are not automatically coexisted with the rights of adults in other settings. Like Frazier, if he had said those rude words outside of school, that would have been fine. Yeah. But he couldn't say them in school. And then Kuhlmeier acknowledged that schools may regulate some speech, even though the government couldn't censor it outside of the school. And finally, the concern here is not that Frederick's speech was offensive. But that is reasonably viewed as promoting illegal drug use.
0: So my biggest issue with all of this is that all of these Supreme Court judges are saying, you know, you've got adult rights, and then you've got what happens to kids in the school, in the public school system. Yeah. And so it's it's basically saying that they aren't, children do not have the same rights as adults. Right. In this certain
1: In this realm. public school setting.
0: Right. So why is it that the public school is this hallowed ground where students are stripped of something?
1: Well, do you think that students should have the right to say whatever they want whenever they want in school? No. Well, let's talk about disruption first of all. Okay. Can somebody stand up and start screaming in class and disrupt your lessons? People do it. They do it, but should they be allowed to do it?
0: Well, they're punished.
1: Right. So should they not be punished?
0: No, I think they should be punished. And I guess the idea is that it's a learning environment. We're trying to teach our youth how to be responsible, how to earn those rights as adults. Yes. I can, yeah, I can see that. I can understand that. I was also always a good kid. So it's easy for me to just demand, not to say that these are bad kids who are dissenting. Yeah. But I, I only ever saw that as entertaining and I never came up against sitting in the principal's office for... Yeah. Having shouted well, an expletive.
1: I mean, I don't think it's I, th- I mean, I'm am a, I'm a die in the world champion of freedom of speech. I always yeah. have been, you know, but uh, all these cases like both sides make sense to me. You know, mm-hmm. something in them. Yeah. Makes sense to me. Um, so uh, I can understand the court's difficulty in making these decisions. Yeah. And in the dissent for Morse v. Frederick, it's Justice John Paul Stevens again and his dissent. Uh, by the end of it, gets around to the point of basically this whole thing we've been talking about. Uh, He starts with this. He says, although this case began with this silly, nonsensical banner, it ends up with the court inventing out a whole cloth, a special First Amendment rule permitting the censorship of any student speech that mentions drugs. And then he says, the Vietnam War is remembered today as an unpopular war. But during the Tinker era, during its early stages, the dominant opinion that Justice Harlan mentioned in his Tinker dissent regarded opposition to that war as unpatriotic, if not treason. So look where we are now. Who knows if feelings about drugs cannot change? Um, we
0: know that they can change. We know We're that they can. We're seeing marijuana laws change across the country.
1: Absolutely. So I I, I really like that in his dissent for, uh, for this case as he references Tinker and he says— Guys, don't forget, you know, the Vietnam War, you would be just screamed at for opposing the Vietnam War. You'd get in trouble. People would get into fights with you at bars. I really like that he comes back to Tinker, and he comes back in a way that's supportive of this. The Constitution is interpreted, and those interpretations change over the years. Mm -hmm. These four students, Tinker, Frazier, Kuhlmeier, Frederick, four kids, change the ways our First Amendment rights are interpreted in schools. ¶¶ Well, Mr. Alcox, if you're listening, I'm ready now. Send me your tinkers and your coal miners. This episode was produced by me, Nick Capodice, and Hannah McCarthy. Music is by the inimitable Petey Wheatstraw, 1937, and Matt Oakley. The dulcet tones of Supreme Court justices past and present come from Oye.org. It's a free law project from Cornell's Legal Information Institute. Civics 101 is a production of NHPR, New Hampshire Public Radio.